Welcome to the No Spin News. I am Monica Crowley in today for Bill O'Reilly. Thanks so much for joining us. And please check out my own podcast called the Monica Crowley Podcast. It's available on all podcast platforms. So wherever you get your podcast, please check mine out. It is fire. It's pure fire every day. You will love it, I promise you. All right, we've got a lot to get to today. We've got a lot of news coming at us, including primary results from yesterday and the radical insanity going on on the campus of Yale Law School. All of our law schools are now radicalized, but Yale could be the worst of them all. So we will, we will definitely bring you that story. First, though, we've got to cover the breaking news coming out of Texas, this absolutely horrific school shooting that left 19 elementary school children dead, as well as two adults and many more injured. Uh, the uh, suspect in this case who was shot dead by law enforcement, 18-year-old Salvador Ramos, he shot and wounded his grandmother in a domestic argument before he went on to the school, but then he went on to the school and he was carrying just bags of guns and ammunition. Uh, she, the grandmother, is still alive. She survived being shot in the face by her grandson. She is in the hospital. And you can imagine that police will absolutely want to talk to her about what happened and what gave rise to this horrific attack. Uh, you know, early reports are now saying that this uh, criminal who shot up the school and killed all these people, uh, including these young kids, that he was a loner, he was bullied, he had very few friends, and that his home life was a mess. And I wanna get into that part of the equation here in just a minute. Um, he was shot dead by a border patrol agent, um, someone who's part of the elite border patrol unit down there who was working in the area. He saw this uh, crime in progress and he shot dead without waiting for any backup. He shot dead uh, the suspect. So this agent was wounded in the attack, but he was able to leave the school under his own power. And we all thank God for that because this border agent is an American hero. So those are the details of this. I'm sure we're gonna get more details as time goes on here. But I need to say a couple of things about what happened yesterday. And keep in mind also, we had another mass shooting the week before in Buffalo in that grocery store. But what happened yesterday is particularly horrifying as a crime, but also as a deeply profound tragedy for the victims for their families, for that community of very decent, hardworking people down there in Texas, and for the country at large. So I ask you to please keep all of them and the country in your prayers today and as we go forward. I was thinking about this yesterday as the news was coming in. You know, murdering children is a singular evil. And I do hope that this criminal is burning in hell right now. Evil is real, evil is on the march, evil exists. And I think in this society, we're very uncomfortable talking about evil or the nature of evil, but I think we better get more fluid with discussing evil. And it should inform everything that we talk about with, with regard to horrific crimes like this, because you really can't talk about it without talking about evil. So it's real. But then the conversation veers into what do we do about this? And every time there is 
a kind of horrific attack like this, everybody, especially politicians, scramble to look like they're doing something. And it is a human impulse to want to do something to stop this kind of thing. But you cannot legislate away evil. You just cannot do it. This right here is a crisis of the soul. It is not a crisis of policy. This is a crisis of a spiritual battle, good versus evil, light versus darkness. That's what's happening here. And I hear a lot of people talk about how broken our country is, and I don't disagree with that. But the brokenness comes from a spiritual bankruptcy. In this country, we have removed God. We have removed faith. We've removed open discussions about God and faith, certainly from the public square. So uh, how can we expect anything else if we're all afraid to discuss evil and the spiritual war that we are in? This country needs a spiritual renewal. It needs a spiritual restoration if we're going to have any chance of bringing this country back. That's number one. Number two is leadership. So last night, we got word that President Biden was going to address the nation about this horrific crime. And I thought, okay, I went into it with an open mind. I thought, okay, let's hear what he's got. Because any president has many jobs, but one of the hats any president wears is to be comforter-in-chief when something like this happens, to unite us in our grief, to bring us together, to offer a moment of reflection and prayer to uplift the nation in a dark moment. Did we get that from Joe Biden yesterday? No, we did not. Instead, what we got was a series of tired, old, tiresome talking points from the left about guns and gun control. He spewed all kinds of predictable leftist pablum when the country was crying out for the president to bring us together. It was it was a really grotesque display of partisanship. You know, he was talking about gun control and policy, all from the left, at a time when those children's bodies were still warm on the ground, and that there were still missing children with parents going out of their minds with worry and panic about the fate of their children. The president was out there yammering on about gun control. But what do you expect? Joe Biden has always been a hack. But it's one thing to be a hack when you are in the United States Senate and you're one of 100 and you can hide behind the others. It's another thing entirely to be a hack when you're president of the United States. That puts all of us in incredible danger. And yesterday, he, it was just a catastrophic disappointment. So since he injected policy into this. Let's talk a little bit about that. To be clear, this criminal who's now been shot dead violated multiple gun laws. The idea that more gun laws would have prevented this or any of the other mass shootings that we've seen is absurd. And the implication from Biden and the left that those of us who oppose 
uh, additional gun laws like this, like of the kind they're proposing, including gun confiscation. The idea that those of us who oppose that are somehow in favor of these evil mass shootings is disgusting. None of the gun control policies that the left is constantly throwing out there would have stopped any of these mass shootings. And the American people know that. In fact, Rasmussen just released a poll which was taken after the Buffalo grocery store uh, shooting of last week, but before this shooting in Texas. And if we could put up the result there, uh, Rasmussen asked the American people, is it possible to completely prevent mass shootings? And look at this, 61% of the American people say no, it's not possible. And they're exactly right. We all know evil exists. Again, we need to be having this conversation. We all know this. We know that there are lunatics out there. We know that there are criminals out there. And since Cain and Abel, violence has been a part of the human story. And it's not going to stop. So yes, you can do things to mitigate it, but you're never going to eradicate it. People know that. So when it comes specifically, though, to schools, and like I said, killing children is a singular evil, the answer always was to upgrade the security uh, provisions in these schools, to upgrade all of their security uh, in schools. And people are constantly saying, well, we can't afford that. Excuse me, Congress just approved $40 billion to go to Ukraine. I wonder if they're protecting U Ukrainian schools. Who knows? but they find the money when they want to for their priorities. I would say our kids' safety is a big priority, wouldn't you? So find the money. And you know what? The money actually already exists because under the Trump administration and then the Biden administration, all of these COVID relief bills had billions of dollars in there for schools. Yes, for COVID, but now COVID is essentially over. So let's take some of those billions of dollars and upgrade the security systems and precautions in these schools. The money already exists. It's sitting there unused. Let's use it. Some other common sense solutions. How about armed security in these schools? Oh, I don't want guns around my kids. Well, you know what? The answer is a good guy with a gun trumps a bad guy with a gun. Single points of entry in schools. Remember when we were growing up, all of the entrances were open, and at the end of the day, you'd run out onto the baseball field. Well, now close them from the outside so that people can uh, not get in. So you've got one point of entry into schools, training staff, and of course, mental health. Like evil, mental health is someone nobody, something nobody wants to talk about but it is critically important because, you know, when you look at these school shooters, they all look a little crazy, right? They behave crazy and uh, nobody wants to, to intervene or get involved, but I think we have to. By the way, have you noticed that the same people calling for us to ban guns and rely on the police, you shouldn't have a weapon to defend yourself, rely on the cops. They are the same ones who have been calling for defunding the police and also who are insisting on keeping the border wide open and allowing a tidal wave of illegal guns to come into the country. So do you see what we're saying here? You, you see what's really going on? It's not about the guns for them. It's only and always about power 
and control. Did you know Fast Growing Trees is the largest online nursery in the USA? With more than 10,000 plant varieties and millions of satisfied customers. I have their trees and plants at my home, and they're fantastic. Have you had your fair share of landscaping woes and wasted weekends at crowded nurseries? Finding fast-growing trees will be like stumbling upon a hidden treasure, believe me. With fast-growing trees, it's different. From fruit trees to houseplants, they have it all delivered right to your doorstep. Plus, their plant experts are always available for advice. And here's the best part. This spring, they have up to half off on select plants. And my audience can get an extra 15% off by using promo code BILL at checkout. So please go to FastGrowingTrees.com. Use promo code BILL at checkout. The president today is doing something that's related. It was on his schedule uh, prior to this shooting, but it's related to what's going on. He has signed an executive order uh, to reform policing in America. And there are a lot of different elements to it in terms of accountability uh, by the cops. But uh, it also is going to limit the use on chokeholds and no-knock entries for the police. So he signed that today. Uh, and that will go forward. I would just remind you that Senator Tim Scott of South Carolina, after the George Floyd murder, which happened two years ago today, um, Tim Scott introduced a police reform bill that had some of these elements to it. He wanted it done immediately to try to quell the uprising in the country, and the Democrats torpedoed it and said no. So yesterday was also a big political day because we had primaries in five states with some very interesting results. The big one, of course, Georgia. Uh, there was a Republican primary for governor and the incumbent governor, Brian Kemp, whom Donald Trump loathes for not sticking up for him in the 2020 election. He won his Republican primary and the Trump endorsed candidate, David Perdue, lost by 50. That's five zero, 50 points. So I'm sure President Trump is none too happy with that result. Uh, Stacey Abrams, who he will face in the fall, she was uncontested. So she's going to be the Democratic candidate there. Uh, she's going to lose again unless they steal it. The uh, Republican Secretary of State primary race in Georgia, also interesting, the incumbent Brad Raffensperger also did not stick up for Trump. Uh, during the 2020 election. So Trump went against him and endorsed Jody Heiss, but Jody Heiss lost. So in the state of Georgia, it does look like those Georgian uh, voters want candidates who can win. Remember the runoff after the 2020 election, January of 21, um, gave us two Democrats, John Ossoff and Raphael Warnock. And so I think Georgian voters are up to their eyeballs with playing games, and they're like, we're done. We want an incumbent who can win. Uh, on the Senate side, Herschel Walker, who's incredible. He won the Republican primary, and he will face off against Senator Warnock. Also of note in Georgia, Marjorie Taylor Greene, enemy of the left. She won resoundingly in her primary. They keep trying to destroy her, and she keeps surviving, which, of course, they hate and makes them target her even more. 
Turning to Texas, uh, I mentioned yesterday that very interesting Democrat House race where you had the incumbent Henry Cuellar, who is taking a tough line on the border and immigration, which makes him a moderate to a conservative in the Democratic circles. He had a primary challenger named Jessica Cisneros, who's way out there progressive, endorsed by Bernie, AOC, the squad. She has not conceded the race. Quaylar leads by a handful of votes, and he has declared victory. So we're watching that. And in the attorney general race in Texas, the incumbent, Ken Paxson beat George P. Bush. So this might be the death knell for the Bush dynasty. I told you, Donald Trump has completely changed the landscape of the Republican Party for the better. Speaking of the Democrats, though, more bad news for Biden and the Democrats, and his party is just sucking salt. Listen to this brand new Gallup poll shows that a mere 16% of adults are satisfied with the direction of the country. 16. I want to know who these 16% are and what are they on. If they think that this is good, I'd like to meet them. Uh, satisfaction by political party. 24% of Democrats are satisfied with the direction of the country. 4% of Republicans are satisfied. Again, I would like to meet this 4% of the GOP who thinks things are going well. 18% of independents are satisfied. These are catastrophic numbers for Biden and his party, uh, especially going into November, but also 24, because they're not gonna change. They're not gonna change one bit, there's going to be no course correction. This is the fundamental transformation of the nation. So they're going to continue with these policies, even at the expense of, of losing power, because for them, it's about advancing the Marxist ball. Okay, speaking of Marxists, I want to bring you this story because it's incredible. You know, our elite law schools are increasingly radicalized on the left. And they've been this way for a while, and maybe all law schools are like this, but certainly the elite law schools are. They're just hotbeds of radicalism. So as you know, a couple of weeks ago, we got that leak from the Supreme Court um, about a possible decision to overturn Roe versus Wade, which would kick back the question about abortion back to the states. Well, all hell is breaking loose over at Yale Law School, other campuses too, but Yale Law School, this is just an incredible story where you have first year students calling for ostracizing their conservative colleagues and tossing out the constitution. Again, we seem to hear these stories all the time, but it, this is particularly problematic because Think about this, the leftist indoctrination and radicalization is happening at all levels of education, but particularly um, in these law schools where they're supposed to be educating and training our future guardians of the law. So this is why this is so dangerous. Joining me now to discuss this is Aaron uh, Siberian. And Aaron, if I mispronounce your last name, let me know. Aaron is an associate editor with the Washington Free Beacon, which broke this story about what's going down at Yale Law School. And he is also a graduate of Yale, so he knows the school well. Aaron, welcome. Thank you for having me. You bet. Okay, so can you describe here what these first year students uh, have done at Yale and why this controversy has arisen? 
Sure. So in a number of social media posts, um, some public, some private, although the private one was sent to thousands of people, uh, these students uh, called for unrelenting daily confrontation with their conservative peers. they said that democratic institutions, as well as the Constitution, won't save us. Um, said it wasn't time for reform, and in general indicated a willingness to uh, seemingly ignore, if not outright uh, overthrow, the U.S. Constitution. Uh, in res- all in response to the Dobbs leak. Okay, so have you heard of any kind of disciplinary action coming from the university, the law school? against these students or are they just roaming free with their radicalism with no consequences? Well, no, I mean, there, there wouldn't be any disciplinary action for this, right? Because this is just political speech. It's crazy political speech, but that is what it is, right? Um, I will tell you, though, that there was another incident uh, a few months ago at Yale Law School, um, which was not political speech, in which a number of protesters tried to shout down Um, an event with the Federalist Society that, of all things, concerned uh, the First Amendment. Um, Those students repeatedly and flagrantly violated university policies that prohibit students from uh, disrupting events, no matter how controversial. Uh, And those students uh, have faced no discipline for what they did. Um, The dean of Yale Law School said their behavior was inappropriate, but that it stopped short of violating Yale's disciplinary policies, which is just false. Um, And so uh, the hundreds of students who disrupted this event in violation of university policy have faced absolutely no discipline. So, you know, Aaron, we see this happening in corporate America as well, and, and certainly in academia, where the inmates are running the asylum. So these woke students in this case are literally running the asylum and the administration has nothing to say about it. And you're right, this is protected speech, but you would think that there would be at least some discussion about the appropriateness of this or some protection for the students who are being targeted. Yes, and and to my knowledge, there was never any, um, no one raised the possibility that that uh, threatening, unrelenting daily confrontation with your peers might constitute harassment, which would violate university policy if you actually did it. Or um, even an incitement to violence, Aaron, right? Yeah, I mean, you know, now, look, having having been at this school, I will tell you that, that in my experience, uh, often when leftists say they want unrelenting daily confrontation or something like it, what they mean is that they will go up to you in the coffee shop and just berate you for your horrible views. That happened to me once when I was at Yale. Um, it's not fun. It's not violent. You know, I, I don't think, frankly, that these kids really uh, have the stomach themselves for violence. Um, what's concerning, though, is that their willingness to jettison all these uh, longstanding norms uh, of the legal system and of the constitutional order means that as they graduate, right, um, the the legal and constitutional structures that we have to contain violence in part um, will erode. Uh, So, you know, I don't think they're gonna go and beat up their peers, but I do worry that under their influence, uh, 
a legal constitutional order uh, that whose whose great achievement is that it allows, I think, a great deal of social peace among people with very different views. That order is going to start to erode, and I don't think we're going to like uh, the country very much when it does. Yeah, you know, you raise a really good point because this kind of radicalization is going on across academia, but there is a particular danger to continuing to turn out radicalized lawyers because it's going to fray the already tenuous judicial system, right? Yes, exactly. And I would emphasize too that you know, people often lump Harvard, Yale, and Stanford Law School together. That's kind of a mistake. Yale Law School is really it is more elite than any other law school by a wide margin. It makes up a hugely disproportionate share of clerkships, of Supreme Court justices, of high-level government bureaucrats, of law professors, a, a, a huge, huge segment of the United States legal system is, is produced uh, by Yale Law graduates. So what's happening at this one school really does have an incredibly outsized effect on policy and on legal culture. Yeah, you're exactly right. You look at the makeup of the Supreme Court, and so many of them have graduated Yale Law School. In addition to, I might add, Bill and Hillary Clinton are both graduates of Correct. Yale Law. So this has been going on for a long time. Maybe we can trace it to the countercultural movement, the Vietnam War, and that kind of political activism, where these campuses really went off the charts. But is there anything, Aaron, that we can do? I mean, the rot is so deep. The radicalization is so intense at all of these institutions. Is there any effective way that we can counter it? Well, it's this isn't perfect, but I do think that the Federalist Society provides a decent counterweight. Um, and in fact, it provides more of a counterweight in law, right? That then there's nothing quite like it in other institutions. Um, so although I do worry about the 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 mass influx of crazy law, law school graduates into the legal system, it is worth noting that there's a kind of institutional bulwark there um, that might not exist in other institutions. Now, the other thing I would say, frankly, and this this is a tough sell, but you know, if high power judges, including Supreme Court justices, just said we will no longer hire people from Yale Law School. Period. Unless these law schools uh, do a better job of protecting free speech and get less crazy, now, Yale Law School cares a lot about its clerkship numbers and its prestige, um, and that I think would probably change its behavior. The problem is that I think just many judges, for various reasons, um, aren't willing to do that. But hypothetically, right, if you could um, credibly threaten to uh, not. Yale Law School's prestige down a few pegs unless it uh, respected free speech, I do think such threats could influence their behavior. That's interesting. I mean, we, in that way, we would have to do our own form of activism, right? And, and coordinate the way the left is coordinated in all of these institutions. Um, you know, Yale is a, a particularly bad one. I think Columbia is as well. What about Harvard? What about the rest of the Ivy League? Do you see this kind of activism and, and intensity going on there as well? You do, although, it varies. What varies is probably less the students who are pretty crazy everywhere, but the administrative response varies. So Harvard, my understanding is so far the law school administration has 
not capitulated to the more insane demands of the students, um, and they tend to just kind of ignore the craziest protests. Um, at Yale, the administration has been a lot more responsive to the activist students, which is part of the problem. But you know, in terms of the the general climate, where you can't you know make any argument that that violates. Uh, the, the orthodoxies of political correctness, that's really not unique to Yale or Harvard or Georgetown. I would say at almost every law school in the country, except for maybe Notre Dame and a few other, and maybe George Mason, a few other more conservative ones, uh, the, the climate is pretty similar and the only differences are matters of degrees. And what about the alumni associations here? I mean, I would think there have got to be some conservative alumni that might lead the charge and say, no more contributions to Yale Law School unless you get a handle on this kind of radicalism. Yeah, I would I would hope so, too. I think there's two, two sort of uh, barriers to this. Uh, one is that uh, a lot of alumni, for better or worse, just feel an affection to their alma mater and don't want to stop giving. And the other is that a lot of alums who give a lot of money are themselves left wing. And precisely because uh, so many of the, the rich graduates are left wing, you know, yes, maybe like the, the 10 conservative rich graduates of Harvard Law School, you know, won't give it money, but that still leaves a lot of uh, big donors. So, uh, one hopes, but I'm I'm not super optimistic that in the short term donor pressure is going to do all that much. Maybe I'm yeah, wrong. Yeah, I, I know. No, I, I agree with you on this. And we're in a really difficult position with this because, again, these law schools are churning out the future guardians of the law who are supposed to actually carry out a, a, a blind justice kind of legal system and an equal application of the law. But what we see at the DOJ and the FBI and what we see on our courts, justice is no longer blind. And a lot of these lawyers are just coming through with radical agendas that are transforming the very nature of the country. So it's something to keep a close eye on. And I so appreciate your reporting on this. Aaron Siberium, he is the associate editor at the Washington Free Beacon. Go check out all of his work. Aaron, thank you so much. Thank you. You bet. Everything is expensive these days, you know that. The government is printing trillions of dollars in consumer prices higher than ever. If the government continues its printing and spending, the dollar could continue its freefall and lose its coveted role as the world reserve currency. Let's hope that doesn't happen. But there are a few things you can do right now. American Hartford Gold can show you how to protect your money, your retirement, your hard-earned savings against inflation by helping you diversify a portion of your portfolio into physical gold and silver. Start with a short phone call, and they can have physical gold and silver delivered right to your door or put inside your 401k or IRA. So please call or text them right now. Tell them Bill O'Reilly sent you. Call 877-444-GOLD, 877-444-GOLD, or text GOLD to 65532. Again, that's 877-444-GOLD, or text GOLD to 65532. 
Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. All right. Switching gears now to this. Social media. <laughs> uh, are you addicted to it? I think we all are, right? It's one of the forms of the devil, I think. Uh, but it's necessary. It's out there. It's unavoidable. Um, I think it's one thing for adults to be addicted to social media or at least spend a lot of time on social media. Uh, They generally know what they're doing and how they're allocating their time. But it's another thing entirely for kids to get addicted to social media. And a lot of these algorithms, they're meant to reward more time. They're meant to reward outrage as well because they want the clicks, they want the eyeballs, they want you on their sites for as long as possible. So if they get kids young, uh, then they'll lock them in for the rest of their lives and they've got a consumer base built right in and they can charge ever higher rates for their advertising and so on. Well, in the state of California, listen to this, they're gonna try to take this on somehow. California parents could soon sue for social media addiction. California could soon hold social media companies responsible for harming children who have become addicted to their products. This bill would permit parents to sue platforms like Instagram and TikTok for up to $25,000 per violation although I'm not sure how they're defining violation here. This is under a bill that actually passed the California State Assembly this week. The bill now goes to the state Senate, where it will undergo weeks of hearings and negotiations between uh, lawmakers and stakeholders, and we'll see what comes out of this. But they do define the word addiction relative to social media. They define it as kids under the age of 18 who are harmed either physically, mentally, emotionally, developmentally, or materially, and who want to stop or reduce how much time they spend on social media, but they can't because they are preoccupied or obsessed with it. That is a pretty broad definition of social media addiction. I'm not sure that this is going to make it through. It might. We will watch it. But I do think if it is signed into law by Governor Gavin Newsom in California, that the uh, legal challenges to this are going to be widespread because I, I, I simply don't see how you can monitor legally um, or have legal consequences for people's social media engagement. Could be wrong. We'll watch. Okay, this day in history. May 25th, 1787, so I'm taking you way back. The Constitutional Convention began on this day. So four years after the United States won our War of Independence from England, 55 state delegates convened at what's now known as Independence Hall in Philadelphia to write up 
a new U.S. Constitution. Remember, the Articles of Confederation just weren't working. It was starting to all fall apart. So we got back together to devise a new agreement, which became the U.S. Constitution. We had George Washington there. We had uh, Benjamin Franklin, James Madison, all of the founder rock stars. They were all there, of course. They debated for three months. And then the delegates, of course, came up with the brilliant system that has ensured our freedom all of these years, which is the system of checks and balances based on individual freedom and economic freedom as well and limited government. So they ratified it and it went through. And as we now know, the U.S. Constitution is the oldest written constitution in operation in the world. And as we also know, it is under brutal attack from the left, from the Marxists, who will spare no expense and never stop at trying to destroy it. So Constitutional Convention began today, all of those years ago, 1787. And to this very day, we continue to fight for that Constitution and the liberties that it ensures. Okay, before we hit a quick break, let's take a listen to one of my favorite moments from a recent Monica Crowley podcast. Mrs. Clinton is eaten alive by two things. One, that she never became president and never will be. And two, that she lost not once but twice to men. Man, that's got to really gall her, right, that she lost to men? She lost to men who had a better handle on the political landscape and the American people than she did. Barack Obama and Donald Trump. But it was losing to Trump that really made her go mental. She truly lost her mind over the possibility of losing to the orange man, the blue-collar billionaire from New York who was crass and vulgar to her and her crowd, the political neophyte who had never done any of this before, when she had busted her tail for years and put up with Bill and the whole thing, she has spent her entire adult life preparing to run for and be president. How on earth could she lose to a guy who had never done politics before? Didn't he know that she had sacrificed everything including her dignity, by hitching her future to serial skirt-chasing dog, Bill? Didn't Trump know that he needed to make way for her, the deep state queen of victimhood? Well, no, he didn't know it. And if he did, he didn't care, because it was his time, too. The Clintons and the entire deep state are not about serving you or America. They're about serving themselves. Trump saw a mess after eight years of Obama, and he said, I'm, I'm going to step up and do this. So he thought it was his turn. He saw it was his turn, not out of a sense of entitlement, but out of a sense of duty to the country. Big thanks to Bill O'Reilly for having me in this week. We're going to take a quick break, and then we'll have a message from Bill. 
This summer, don't be left without air conditioning. Call Care Heating and Cooling and get on a care plan to protect your family. With a care plan, you get system maintenance and priority service in case of emergency, giving you peace of mind. Plus, a well-maintained air conditioner runs more efficiently and saves you money. At Care, their service technicians are paid to fix your AC, not sell you a new one. And their award-winning team is available seven days a week. Call Care today at 1-800-COOLING or book an appointment online at careheatingandcooling.com. When you need a company you can trust. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchases, prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. All right, here's the final thought of the day. We're off tomorrow and Monday. Back on Tuesday, rocking and rolling. So, um, Memorial Day. So, a couple of days ago, I donated uh, a track chair to independencefund.org. You know what these are. These are the high-tech wheelchairs that give uh, wounded, severely wounded vets mobility. They can go to the beach, go hunting. Uh, helps them, their family, helps everybody. These chairs are $15,000 each. I try to buy a few a year. And the one I bought goes to specialist Ricky Rayleigh of Iowa. And um, he was paralyzed in Iraq from the waist down. Now, this shows you how long some of our vets have been waiting for these track chairs. He, he got hurt in the Iraq war. All right. So we have 35 vets now waiting for track chairs. We have delivered 2,540 chairs. Now, Ricky's going to get his chair in Peoria, Illinois, on June 3rd, next week, and the duo... Florida Georgia Line is going to perform at that ceremony. They'll be there. And they are patriots. Florida Georgia Line. So that's going on in Peoria. If you'd like to find out more about um, Independence Fund, it's simple. Just go to independencefund.org. You don't have to buy the full chair. I mean, I'm lucky enough where I can do that. Um, You could just give a donation. And for Memorial Day, I mean, what better... What better thing to do than that? You know, millions and millions of Americans have died to preserve our freedom and the freedom of people overseas. The Vietnamese. That war was fought to protect them, those poor people, from communism. Subsequently, we pulled out. We did not lose that war militarily. We pulled out because it was untenable to be there any longer, just like Afghanistan. All right? And now the Vietnamese are enslaved by the Hanoi communist government. We kept them free, at least for some years, and hundreds of thousands of Vietnamese came here to the USA, as they should have. So we are a noble nation. All right. And I want to reinforce that on Memorial Day weekend because of all the hatred that we're seeing from the progressive left. Wretched country. Oh, it makes me so angry, I can't tell you how angry it makes me. But I'm going to control myself. I am. But I'm not giving them any quarter. I'm going to name the names. And we want you to have a great weekend. Relax a little bit. Have some fun. No mask for me this weekend. Uh, I'm going to get out in the fresh air. We'll see you Tuesday.